Welcome, true believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue such as, try sending a Spider-Gram. It's guaranteed to liven any special occasion. Here to provide analysis for that line and so much more is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I'm feeling a little worn, James B., I have to admit. Um, not not probably, I, I don't have as many problems as Peter Parker, it seems, lately. But I would love to send a Spider-Gram to anyone. Yeah, well, it looked, he just saw like a web or something, right? And he called it a Spider-Gram yes. in the book. <laughs> it was really nothing going <laughs> there on. There was no gram so. at all. Little little song and dance with some Spider-Man theme. That would be delightful. That's our. That could be our new service we offer, James B. Speaking of <laughs> things we offer, we offer three different titles. One of them is, of course, our Saturday web of Spider-Man books. And we have our Peter Parkers. And I know in Web of Spider-Man, we are getting all kinds of random stories, to be honest with you. I think we're going to have – I think we got a good one coming up, though, next. So stick stick with us, folks. And then for the – Peter Parker, we're in the middle of the uh, four-part saga of the death of Captain Gene DeWolf. Yes, Sin Eater. And in Amazing Spider-Man, we're about to deal with the Beyonder and <laughs> – but Beyonder drags in one of Spider-Man's sort of foes, which would be the Puma. Yeah, I like the Puma. Uh, his real name is Thomas Fireheart. He's a Native American from New Mexico. And he has an, a large corporation, which he makes a lot of money through and has a lot of resources. So it's kind of interesting to watch how he operates in the world of Spider-Man. Yeah, he's not even remotely a villain anymore either. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, he's, he's he's almost an ally, but he's not in the first book, I don't think. I think we have a new villain to deal with. And that first book we're going to talk about today is from January of 1986. Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 272, Make Way for Slide, written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Sal Buscema, and finished by Kyle Baker. We opened with Action Slide, a Frozone-like villain dressed in a white speed skater outfit is robbing a bank while Spider-Man is knocking heads. At Josie's bar, looking for leads on who assaulted Nathan Lubinsky. Yeah, Nathan Lubinsky was rubbed up without me or the readers seeing the fight. Also, did you see that slide went in and out of the bank through glass windows, Eddie? And you didn't even mention it. Can we not deprive the listeners of those easy sound effects that I like to play so often? All right, sorry. Let me get us back on track. Later... Peter pursues Slide as he wants some pictures for the Daily Bugle, right? Yes, and Slide easily evades Spidey, and Spidey causes several bystanders much consternation as he accidentally destroys things. James B., I want to go back and discuss when Josie runs Spidey out of her bar. Get out of my place, you wall-calling creep! I run a classy joint here! (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking it must be hard to live and make a living in New York City with all these superhero types fighting all the time. Yeah, uh, it's a good point. I'd like to go on record that I would not want to live in New York City during these comics. Spider-Man also angrily punches someone's chimney at one point. And he's letting out some steam. I think it's hard enough living in society with the damage these guys could cause. No thank you. Do the current Marvel's 616 insurance company sell policies that cover you if Slide or Spider-Man damages your property? I think not. Uh, Well, speaking of Slide, Slide, a.k.a. Jerome Beecher, 
heads home, where we learn he was a scientist who worked on developing Teflon at the Beemont Corporation. Beecher was fired when the corporation was taken over by a larger mob-related corporation. Slide's bitterness leads him to attempt a break-in. If only I could reach that window! He breaks into Beemont headquarters, where he discovers the mob is using the business as a front to launder money. Meanwhile, Peter Parker visits the recently beat-up Nathan Lubinsky in the hospital. Lubinsky doesn't give any information on who hurt him, frustrating Peter. As Peter escorts Aunt May to the bus, she explains she feels distant from him now that they live so far apart. We used to play such very important roles in each other's lives, but that's all in the past. She departs hastily. Peter is upset. Yeah, we barely hear about Aunt May ever anymore. <sighs> Dude, she's a fragile old lady. Okay, her main plot lines are having no money or having her old friends get beat up while she attempts to become the wheat cake champion. Really? The writers are doing fine with what they have to work with, Eddie. Go butter some toast and get off the writers' backs. <laughs> Across town, Slide has decided to blackmail the mob for money instead of taking the incriminating evidence to the DA. Blackmailing the mob seems like an incredibly bad idea under any circumstance, but the mob puts a hit out on Slide and hires every two-bit weasel jack in town to go after mm -hmm. the slippery extortionist. Nice. Spidey shows up in time to help Slide out and stops the mobsters from escaping. The DA arrives, and it turns out Slide was helping the police. Slide hands over the corporate criminal's confession tape and files, but takes off with the $25,000... Anyway, Spidey considers going after him, but doesn't bother. Yeah, I've already risked my life once today for what? So the bad guy could get a pat on the back and a briefcase full of cash? <laughs> Eddie, the book has a heavy financial theme. Uh, you know, we discussed just moments ago how Spider-Man's mere existence seems to cost the city and property owners money. Criminals are paying thugs $500 for an hour of work. Did you see that? It is crazy how high that is. Yeah, Slide is robbing a bank for money. The mob is buying a business and laundering money. The $25,000 from the mob is stolen at the end. And we're not even being reminded that Spider-Man with this tiny gold notebook and worth 37 to 40K is stressed about taking it and desperate to sell photos just to make ends meet. I don't blame him for not wanting to chase after Slide even if he disappoints some readers by doing it. Yeah, he declares at the end of this book. He's looking out for himself from now on. Clearly, the writers include these criminal plots because they find the city in, in real life is unsafe. I, I have some very bad news for 1986 New York City. Crime continues to get much worse, actually, until 1991, at which point it declines, and it has been pretty much been on decline uh, up until last year. It went up slightly. Uh, we've got six more years of Peter getting fed up with everything. <laughs> uh, as far as Peter's finances, he's done worse and worse ever since he left Aunt May. Really, he's putting himself in this predicament. He doesn't want a full-time job because then he wouldn't be able to, like, do is web slinging and i think that's what he really likes to do you know how much money he could be making as a mover in new york city in 2023 james b how much a respectable 18 dollars an hour <laughs> he could be doing he would be the best mover and making 
legitimate money. <laughs> Speaking of movers and moving along, from February of 1986, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 273 to Challenge the Beyonder by DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. Legendary transitions there, James B. We begin with Thomas Fireheart, a.k.a. Puma, passing various trials, proving he is the tribe's chosen warrior. Although Fireheart doesn't give much credence to his elders' foreboding prophecy that he must fight the one from beyond. He respects their wishes and flies to New York in search of the beyonder. In New York, Spider-Man is swinging about and comes across some people arguing with a new cult. But we just wanted to bring you the message of cosmic oneness. <laughs> Later, as Peter Parker, he is visiting the still-hospitalized Nathan Lubinsky, along with Aunt May and a number of her boarders. In the storyline that bugs me, we see that Mrs. Muggins is harassing Peter to clean up his recently burned-up apartment. I thought when his apartment was burned, he would move or not have to fix it. Apparently, it falls on the tenant's shoulders to fix a burned-up apartment in 1986. The good news is that when Peter gets home, he is pleased to find MJ waiting for him as they had a date to clean and paint his apartment that day. His apartment is burned in Web of Spider-Man 11, and then this book also references Web of Spider-Man 13. I just want to let you know, Eddie, I looked at the dates, and things aren't lining up. I think the writers must be told, here's what's going to happen in these stories, and... Mm. You know, it does create a lot of work for us. I'm not going to point this out in the future, but just be aware that if we say, hey, this his apartment was burned at Web of Spider-Man 11, and we haven't covered it yet, like, we know. We just really can't do anything about it. Oh, speaking of work, before MJ and Peter can get to work painting, Peter finds Thomas Fireheart sitting in his living room. MJ departs, and Fireheart reveals through his keen ability to smell that he knows Peter is Spider-Man. These are all the people that are alive who actively know or remember who Spider-Man is. Here we go. Now we have Thomas Fireheart, Matthew Murdoch, Mary Jane Watson, Felicia Hardy, Madam Webb, Charles Xavier, Uatu the Watcher from What If Number One, <laughs> and reporter Andrew Ponchalito, who I always bring up from Marvel Team Up 130. Eddie, I used to include ghosts and people who passed away, but I don't need to anymore. This list is so long. <laughs> He's going, he has to be exposed. Well, Fireheart also tells Peter he is the Puma. Fireheart offers Peter $5,000 to help him find and fight the Beyonder. Peter isn't for hire, but agrees to team up looking for the leader of the new cosmic oneness cult, Frank. Do you, oh, I, I, there's no interruption here in our notes, but he's offered five grand. He's like, nah. Yeah. No. And everybody reading this book in the whole world ever is like, what? Just... Just the guy's like a billionaire. Just take take some money, Peter. No skin off his nose. Well, the two brawlers break into Cosmic Oneness headquarters, and Puma gets his chance to kill the chief administrator, Barry Fox, but realizes Fox can't be the Beyonder. Barry explains the guy they are looking for is the founder, Frank. He gives Puma Frank's Upper West Side apartment address. Spidey, not interested in killing anyone, departs. The Beyonder appears almost immediately afterwards and tells Puma he's sorry Puma wasted his time hunting him when Puma could have been working on his business deals. We end as the Beyonder teleports Puma to Japan, where his corporation is negotiating an oil deal. I can't believe the Beyonder's name is Frank. <laughs> you know, this book wasn't too bad because it contained a couple uh, updates. There was a point we didn't cover in the summary, but Flash has another meeting with Betty. Lance 
gets another gig while the New York City editor continues to ignore Peter. And there's a bunch of old people, which would make Sarah Pezzle really happy to see them hanging around the hospital in Nathan's room. Like I said, this book wasn't too bad. The next book is another Beyonder book. It's from March of 1986. Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 274, Lo, There Shall Come a Champion, by DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. To start this book, the Beyonder sends several cosmic armies and planets out of existence. Mephisto is upset because he did not inherit those departing souls to add to his realm and realizes the Beyonder possesses a serious threat to his place in the multiverse. Just as Mephisto thinks this, the Beyonder appears and considers dissolving Mephisto's existence. Cunning as always, Mephisto strikes a deal to pit one of his minions against one of the Beyonder's minions. The Beyonder gives Mephisto Spider-Man while he gets Zarathos, a cosmic being totally devoid of mercy. I think this is a better reason for the Beyonder wanting heroes to fight, so I'll give him that. On Earth, Spider-Man overhears that a low-level gang intends to assassinate the Kingpin. The Beyonder declares that if Spider-Man stops this assassination, Mephisto wins. Spidey has a series of visions involving his parents, Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin, Captain Stacy, Gwen, and Uncle Ben. These are created by Zarathos and delay Spidey from saving the Kingpin. The Beyonder is impressed by Spider-Man's determination to sacrifice his own well-being to benefit others. In the end, Spidey beats Zarathos and saves the Kingpin. The Beyonder walks away from Mephisto with much to ponder. Nice job on that summary, Eddie. It's an important book if you're into Secret Wars 2. Uh, Which you are not. <laughs> I mean, I preferred the previous book over this one, but, you know. What did you think of this book? Uh, well, it was just so left field. Mephisto? Have we ever seen him in a Spider-Man book under any circumstance? I, I don't think so. And why the Beyonder is tangling with him in Spider-Man, I am not sure. By the way, didn't Peter just say he's looking out for number one himself? Uh, we just, we can't believe anything this guy says. Well, we can believe our sponsor because our sponsors are always amazing. Eddie, do you believe in the concept of cosmic oneness? Uh, maybe. Well, you should. Every member of the human race is like a cell in the body of a single great entity, and we should all learn to work together. Join now, and you can have a free button. It will make you stand out in a crowd, Eddie. Come, get a free button today. See Frank for details. Eddie, would you like a free cosmic oneness button to wear? This... This doesn't sound too bad, James B., but does that mean I'm... That must mean I'm a supporter of this cult, right? If I'm wearing the cosmic one. Wasn't Aunt May wearing one? She was. The people were really nice to her, so she put one on. There you go. Eddie, just... Literally, the sponsor's offering you a free cosmic oneness button to wear. Do you want it or not? I'm nervous, James B. I, I, I guess I'll take the button if Aunt May also has the button. I'm supposed to be nice to Aunt May. Remember, I was mean to her earlier. <laughs> Anything else with these books you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so, James B. Okay. Eddie, if people want to tell us that we missed some amazing things and we should have spent more time on it, how can they reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. Yeah, another person popped up the other day. Hey, hey. Discord. 
Yeah, it's good. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, Spider-Man is tired of putting himself on the line for everyone else. From now on, number one comes first. Goodbye. Goodbye. Eddie, you know that Secret Wars is going to be a movie, right? I don't think I knew that. That's that's why I keep you around, James B. <laughs> yeah, but it better be Secret Wars 1 and not Secret Wars 2. Actually, having the Beyonder involved at all is going to be a problem. They need to read they need to rethink this. How are you going to do How would you do Secret Wars without the Beyonder? Without the Beyonder? Like you have Kang be in charge of pulling all the heroes together and villains to fight maybe. I mean, Kang was at the Secret Wars. Well, level, I think he? you just it's like Galactus for some in some way. It's gonna be he's he's the most powerful, you know, step down from the Beyonder, right? But he doesn't have that kind of powers. Galactus is like, you know, he's yeah. like he's like your ox of the enforcers. Like he's just like the big beefy guy. He's not the like the brains behind the operation. True. Galactus. Well, he could get manipulated into something by somebody, I guess. Like Thanos is Thanos could pull everybody wherever he wants with the snap of his hand. You know what I'm saying? You need someone that that kind of power, right? Uh, it's Spider-Man and Puma. They're together here trying to figure out where Frank is. <laughs> Spider-Man notices Puma is carrying his civvies in a Gucci bag. <laughs> Could these two be any more different, I guess? They're like.